Father in heaven, it is good to be here among your people this morning to open the word, to read together, to meditate, and to hear from your Holy Spirit today. We know that you give us the understanding as we read, and we pray that you would do that for us this morning. Thank you for the break in the rain, and even though it's windy, we can still be um, huddled together and, and gathered around your word, and it's always a good thing. Thank you for the word that we can hold in our hands, and we just ask again that you would inspire our hearts from it and give us the understanding that we need. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. When I have to preach on a, on a given day, like a, a holiday, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Christmas, that happens every year, and, and there's not a lot to cover, you think that at some point you get through all of the, all of the scriptures that you could possibly read for that event. <clears throat> I don't like to do that. I don't like to say the same thing that I've heard other people say. So naturally, thinking of the fall outing, being out in, in uh, creation, our thoughts are drawn to the easy scriptures of the creation account and all of those things. And I didn't want to do that. But we're going to read the creation account this morning, <laughs> at least part of it. But I'm not going to focus on the idea of creation. Before I read, I want to ask a question. What, when I say communion, what is that to you? What right away comes to mind with communion? Together. Being together? Wine and bread. I think that's what Debbie's saying back there. Sharing. That's really the focus that I wanted to have this morning, to talk about the communion that we can have. The inspiration kind of comes from a comment that one of the Sunday school kids said, that when we pray, or when I asked why do we pray, or we were talking about prayer, they said, our prayers don't really come true anyways. And sometimes that's true, and sometimes it isn't. But it really had me thinking about what is the point of prayer, and that led me to communion. And so I'm still noodling a bigger sermon about prayer itself, but that's kind of the backdrop for the reading and the meditation this morning. <clears throat> I'd like to start in Genesis, like I said, Chapter 1, we're not going to read like all of the creation account. I want to pull different pieces out of it. <clears throat> so, Genesis chapter 1, just starting at verse 26. The Word of God says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it 
and have dominion over fish of the sea and over fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, to every fowl of the air, to every living thing that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And then continuing in chapter 2, verse 4, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up from the mit a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pisan, that is when, which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Delium and the onyx stone, and the name of the second river is Gihon, the same as that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. The name of the third river is Hidekel, that is, it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and <clears throat> put him in the garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. One more verse in Genesis, chapter 3, verse 8. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. In the beginning of verse 8. One more scripture reading before we get into a meditation. Leviticus chapter 26. I'm going to read 3 and 4 and then skip to 11 and 12. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield her fruit. Your threshing shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time. You shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land safely. And then verse 11, I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. So when we open these beginning chapters in Genesis, what we see is God creating this place where we are, creating our kind, creating the kind of every animal that we can think of, that we can see. And it says he created a garden and put man in the midst of it to tend it and to keep it. And it also says that God walked in the garden. And so I don't know what it was like for Adam and Eve to spend time walking in the garden, but it sounds refreshing. I mean, it's cold right now, so imagine a sweltering summer day 
and reading that verse in Genesis that says that God walked in the cool of the day. That I get a comfort. You can come to Richmond in, in the summertime and you'll appreciate that verse more. This, this idea of a, a comfortable place that God formed with his hands, with his voice actually, and put us in it to keep it, to maintain it, to be stewards. And God walks among that. To the point that when Adam and Eve sinned, he heard God say, Adam, where are you? And that's a whole other message that I've had before, that God didn't need to ask Adam where he was because God knew exactly where Adam was. But the point is that God and Adam and Eve were in communion with each other in this place that God created and said that it was good. And then when we look in, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the chapters or the verses in Leviticus 26, he says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you and I will walk among you and I will be your God, and you will be my people. That word tabernacle is mishkan, which means a dwelling or a residence. God will put his residence among us if we walk in his statutes and keep his commandments. So I'm suggesting that God created us for communion with him. People want to know, what, what's the point of life? What's the meaning of life? I think meaning of life is communion with our Father. When we walk in communion with him, there's this special relationship. And I don't want to make light of it, him being the creator. But if we look around at, at the world, if we just think for a second, how many different religions are there that acknowledge the existence of a creator? I would suggest that more people in the world are not atheists than are atheists. It's just a matter of who the God is that they're, that they're worshiping. And so there's a thing in us that looks for God. Some people find places in nature and set up places of worship, and they're worshiping the actual nature. And the scripture even talks about that, where man creates the, or worships the created thing rather than the creator. So we're looking for something to worship. We're looking for something more than us to be in communion with. And we have the privilege of having God's word in front of us. And we can read it and know who our creator is, how he made things. Well, not really how, but the idea that he created all of these things. They're here. And that he gives us an opportunity to walk with him. Other faiths, other religions, um, beliefs, Many of them are afraid of their ultimate deity. And they want to do things to make that one happy. Because if I don't, then my crops won't grow. Or my karma will be bad if I don't appease the, the deities. But our God is not like that. So this topic of prayer that led me to thinking about communion, once we've established that God created us for communion, we can understand that 
Prayer is one of the things that he gave us to enter in communion with him. And I'm going to go into the New Testament. I'm not going to read things right away. But if we look at Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus teaches us about prayer, he tells us to go into our room and close the door and pray to our Father in secret, rather than be the kind who, who goes into the middle of everything and prays openly so that people will see us praying. That was a very specific context of, because one of, one of my kids asked me one time, well, if we're supposed to pray in our closet, then why do we have to pray in public when we're at church? Well, it's different, because we're not praying there to be, to, for, well, I suppose, that there could be some that uh, enjoy public prayer in church, maybe more than the words that they're saying, they enjoy doing it. I'm not one of those people, I don't think. I hope not. But the point is to not draw attention to ourselves when we're praying, but rather recognize that prayer is a moment of communion with our Creator. So that's why he says for us, we can go into a closet, we can pray, just us and him, having that, that time together. Because prayer is a form of communion. Now, going back to the comment about our prayers not getting answered, Jesus tells us that when that happens, it's because you're not praying for the right things. The, I think the King James says you're praying amiss. We treat God like a snack machine. We, we uh, put in our, our coins of requests or, or push different buttons. Um, our credit card swipe in Jesus' name, and then our snack pops out the bottom. If that's how we're approaching prayer, that we're just saying, hey, God, this is a thing that I want, or this is a thing that I need. Your word says, Jesus said, if you ask whatever you will in my name, you'll receive it. And we take that too literally sometimes. I, don't, I think he means us to take it a certain way, but it's when our will is in line with his will that we can ask these things that I will, that I would will, because I'm seeking his will for me. And Jesus gives us a really good example of that. And I am going to read this one in Matthew 26. <clears throat> Matthew 26, starting with verse 39. Uh, this is when after, after what we call communion happened, the Last Supper which was really Passover, which is another message that we could have that I've given before. They go out to the garden. Jesus knows that he's about to be betrayed. And he needs some time with the Father, which is when we recognize Jesus as God. It's interesting to me every time, even though I've been a believer for as long as I have. I can't do the math right now. 25 years? the fact that he needed to go spend time alone with his Father in heaven, who is also our Father in heaven, and Jesus is God, and my brain starts to get twisted around in that if I spend too much time thinking. But he, he's in agony, um, in anguish. I've been that way before. Many of us have probably been that way, where we don't even know what we want to pray because the feelings that are inside of us or the, the confusion or whatever is overwhelming and, and we don't even have the words. Not that Jesus was confused, but I think what we, what we say is his humanity was kind of coming out in these moments. 
So Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. He's up in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them, and he went away again, and he prayed the third time, saying the same words. So remember, this is Jesus. This is the Creator. This is the same one who, in the beginning, spoke the words, and we were formed. This is the one that in John 1 says, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And yet he needs to go and sit in the garden and pray to his Father and say, knowing before the foundation of the world was made, this plan of salvation was created. This is not the first time that Jesus is dealing with this. He's been thinking about this at this point, probably, can I say eternity? Or does that have a time? I'm not sure. Many thousands of years at the minimum, he's been thinking about this moment. And yet right here, he goes and he prays and he says, if, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Um, he knew what he was about to experience. He knew about the whippings. He knew about the humiliation. He knew about hanging on the cross. I would propose that he knew and cared more about the separation from his father that he would experience in a few hours than any of those other things. And he says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. That was his prayer number one. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So he goes back to the disciples and then goes back and prays again. And listen to how his prayer changes. If this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. So the first prayer was, please let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. But if I have to, I'll do it. And then his second prayer is, if the only way for this to be over is for me to drink the cup, then I'll do it. And then it says the third time he prayed it again. So the more that he communed with the Father in prayer, his will was changed to be aligned to what the Father was asking him to do, what he knew he needed to do to begin with. It feels weird saying that Jesus' will was changed as he prayed. It's different than my will being changed as I pray because I do not have any godliness inside of me other than what the Holy Spirit works through me. But I think that the point that Jesus is sharing with us through this experience is that the more we commune with the Father through prayer, the more our will becomes aligned to His will. And we can realize the prayer or the, the promise that He made that whatever we ask will be given to us. And understanding too, the cup passed 
from Christ, but he had to drink it first. So sometimes the thing that we want is to avoid the cup. A lot of times God asks us to drink the cup anyways. He gives us the strength to endure that thing, whatever is in that cup. So the answer to Jesus' prayer was not not having to go through it. It was having the strength to make it. We also, at the beginning, a few mentioned the communion that we have, what we call, um, what we call communion, or uh, the Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper, these different terms. When Jesus tells us to do it, he says, do these things in remembrance of me. And that word remembrance meant something different to his disciples than probably we think of when we hear the word remember. When we say remember, we think back, oh, I remember when I was younger in this thing. I drove my kids around um, the Otisco area because I have a lot of memories from living on the lake for several years. And I could think back to those, those days. And I was trying to bring these events or these emotions back to my kids who can't remember it because they weren't there. They have no connection with that place whatsoever. And so all of these feelings and, and emotions and stuff that would come back as I drive down the road and pass Bayshore Cottage, my kids are like looking at something in a book or on a tablet or something like that. I'm like, but look at the lake. The sun is all glistening and shiny. Yeah, I know. I'm glad. <laughs> and I would run down after dinner. I would go for a jog or a walk down to the marina and come back and like all these things and I'm remembering. I'm putting myself back in that moment when I would do these things. When the Israelites are supposed to remember the Passover every year, they say, we went through this. Jews today will say, we went through this. They didn't go through that. But that remember to them is to put themselves in the situation as if they were there. And so when Jesus tells us to remember this supper, he's saying, put yourselves here. Like you, you were here with me this night. That's what remember means when, he's, when they say it. And so this idea of togetherness with Christ at the last moment, the last time that he will share a meal with them, that communion that they have, that's why we call it communion. It's not so that we can just hang out together as a family of believers. It's so that we can have communion remembering being in the, in the room with Christ in that moment when he shared that with his disciples. Scriptures also tell us that people will look to God. There will come a day when people want to look to God. We're told of a falling away if we read Revelation. There's also this time when the word of God will be gone from the land, but the people will still want to hear it. And so in... in uh, in Amos, it talks about a thirst for the word of God that they won't be able to, to quench. And in Zechariah, I'm going to read that one. Zechariah chapter 8. Oh. I'm going to read it from my notes instead, my other notes. So Zechariah chapter 8 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days 
Ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So people from all over the world will want communion with God. And Amos, I don't know if it's the same time, but Amos says they won't find it, and they will go searching for it among the Jewish people. But in the end, those that have walked with the Lord and been sealed by the Holy Spirit and are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, we will have communion with God for eternity. Revelation chapter 21, starting at 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. What's interesting about this when I read a scripture like this, and I hope I'm not saying anything out of turn, but when we talk about when we die, we're going to go to heaven. But have you ever noticed that when we read in Revelation, it says heaven's coming down to us. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne, Jesus, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So in the end, the holy city is coming down to this new earth. The old earth is passed away. It's purified by the fire, and this new earth is here. The holy city comes down, and God's dwelling place is there. Again, this was written in Greek, but it's that word that was in my other page that I don't remember how to say it, that means God's dwelling. His home is among his people. David's not here yet with the food, so I still have time to read one more scripture. It's on its way. way. He told me, I asked him, how long should I go? Or is there, what did I say? Is there a a too long? And he smiled and he said, not if it's interesting. So, I don't know. You're still here. You haven't, I don't see anybody sleeping yet. I'm going to read... And I'm going to read without really meditating on it, because sometimes the Word of God speaks for itself. I mean, the Word of God always speaks for itself, and my words will get in the way sometimes. So I'm just going to close by reading Psalm 116. To me, this is what the present life looks like when we are in communion with God. Please read along with me, and if you don't have a way to do it, I'll try to read slow so you can hear and process what I'm saying, because this, this chapter is such a wonderful illustration of the difficulties of life, and yet what it's like when God 
is our Father and when we're in communion with Him. So Psalm 116, I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because He hath inclined His ear unto me, therefore will I call upon Him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore have I spoken, I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I, thy servant, and the son of thy handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of and meditation on his word.